Hey everybody, before we start this week's episode of the Listening Podcast, I just wanted to ask you one favor, and that is to tell one friend who loves music about our show. We are on Twitter at Listening Pod. You can find the podcast on Stitcher, on iTunes, and on Google Play and SoundCloud. So uh, yeah, tell a music lover um, and, and do us a solid. We love you guys. Let's start the show. Welcome to the Listening Podcast, episode 61. We forgot to mention the episode name last week or episode number last mm-hmm. week. We've made it 60, 61 episodes here. No small feet. It's not, no small feet. Feet. Oh, I'm uh, jumbling my words better, to start. Better get on the ball here. That's right. That's absolutely right. So yeah, I was thinking about this. We moved into the house. For anyone who doesn't know, who hasn't listened before, um, we live in the same house with a bunch of friends. So we've been at this house since June. We start. We were in the 30s then. Yeah. Isn't that crazy to think? That's, yeah, wow. So we've had like just about as many episodes here as we did back in the old basement. That's right. Um, wow, impressive. Good for us. Pat ourselves on the back here. Also, for anyone who's never listened before, we don't just wax poetic about how many no. episodes we've done. We're a music podcast. We I feel like music. I need to re- like remind people of that every time we start a new episode. We've started doing that. Specifically, you've started doing that yeah. at the beginning of the last few episodes. I think it's it's, it's, it's shrewd. It's, it's shrewd because to, to hear us start an episode, you'd think like, oh, this podcast has really no focus. <laughs> They're just kind of yeah. talking. But like they're just friends talking about like inside jokes. Pretty much. But in fact, we're going to talk about some stuff we, that's yeah, no, We're a music podcast here. Uh, we, we discuss the latest and greatest in the music world. Uh, and to that point, let's get into our first segment. Let's dive right in on okay. this. Okay, let's do it. First segment, Hot Thoughts. Yep. Uh, this is how we start almost every episode. Ever, and the story there is that that is the name of a song off Spoon's new album, and we just thought it sounded funny, yeah. and so we've started to call our segment basically just about news and new music, Hot Thoughts. Hot so Thoughts. And we, we share our hot thoughts. Well, it's like right. a hot take, but that's different. Right. Yeah, exactly. So let's first one right here, big news out of the... Yeah. Kind of the emo alternative rock world. And given the sensitive nature of this one, I didn't know if it totally fit in the category of Hot Thoughts, but I just I, decided, you know what it, I mean? I think it, it's news. That's I, just what we call this segment. It, right, 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 right. This isn't, you know, we're not sensationalizing anything. We are. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, big news, kind of somber news out of the emo indie rock alternative world. Modern Baseball, a band that we have talked a lot about on this podcast, a band we really like, came out with one of our favorite records of 2016. Uh, Modern Baseball, they just announced that they are canceling their U.S. tour dates and festival dates yep. um, due to the fact that they are they're kind of stressed out and anxious mentally, basically mentally exhausted from the rigors of being in modern baseball. Yeah, I first saw this um, actually from friend of the pod, Cam Boucher's Twitter or Facebook, one of the two. He was talking about the fact that they were on tour with modern baseball yeah. at some point, so they had to then cancel those tours, um, and or those dates rather. And then I saw that my next thought was that oh this must be related to hot thought. to to Brent, yeah my next my first hot thought was that um, this must be related to Brendan Lukens who's um, one of the primary songwriters and singers in the band and he's had sort of you know I think for anyone who's followed the band um, a history with some mental health issues um, depression and stuff like that so I assumed it was him 
the the open letter that was written to the fans was actually written by Jake Ewald, the other lead singer and songwriter, and he basically came out and he said like, look, you know, we started this band as a form of creativity and an expression of all that stuff, and now we're all basically mentally exhausted. Was yeah. like the gist. Yeah. Um. I, you know, I, it's not especially surprising because they more than it seems any band in that scene sort of saw this huge rise where and that happens to so many artists that that happens to if you if artists who go from you know like indie darling and sort of underground darling there's a big difference from that to mainstream success yeah. and being in the New York Times and being yeah. reviewed everywhere and starting to play festivals like I just think that you know it's a lot all at once. I I agree. That was my first thought too. I was like, well, you know what? This kind of makes sense because they had a basically a meteoric rise last year. If you like, you said if you look at all the press coverage that they got, where they were being reviewed, this story was what Pitchfork was. They Pitchfork doesn't fuck with that scene really, and they don't care. They were tweeting about and had an article about Modern Baseball cancels their tour. Like yeah. that. That's kind of a big deal. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think while it's too bad that this happened and that, you know, the fans don't get to see them, that they can't go on tour and do their thing, I think it's good and I respect the fact that they identified that they are feeling this way. Yeah. And that, you know what, it's better for us if we take a little break here or a long break. Whatever they need to do, fine, do it. I think do what's right for you. And I think that's something, you know, to, like, talk about us for a second. I think that's something as we've gotten a little bit older, yeah. I think you and I have both realized the things that you need to do to feel mentally healthy yeah. and what's important to you and to honor those things. And I think they're doing that, which I think is a big sign of maturity, which is great. Agreed. And the thing I think to realize about them too, and many bands in their position, is that this is a group of really young guys. I mean, they're like around yeah. our age, a little yeah. younger. They're yeah. probably 23-ish, yeah. all of them. Um, and, you know, they've been doing probably not much but music since they were probably like in their late teens or whatever so it their whole like young professional era of your life has been dedicated to this and I'm sure that when you're touring sort of constantly um, and then when you're not touring you're recording new music or writing new music there's not a whole lot of time to reflect and the thing is, is like I can't say I'm surprised everything I've ever heard from a touring musician you know whether it's an interview or they're on a podcast or something talking about the slog of it um, like I was just listening to an interview, uh, uh, Jen Wasner, Wesner, Wasner from uh, Y Oak, yeah, was on Pete Holmes' podcast. You made it weird, um, and he, she was talking about the fact she's like, I don't like touring at all. Mm. She's like, when I'm on stage, like I don't really enjoy it. She's like, there's some bands like Future Islands, for example. She cited them specifically. She's like, they're entertainers. Fellow Baltimore band, right? That's exactly and that. She said that too, and she's like, they're entertainers. There's some bands that were like the art extends to that. Like, they consider right. that a part of their art. Right. Like, but for for me, and I, I would assume for a band like Modern Baseball, because they're good performers. I wouldn't say they, they, they extend their art form through exactly. performance. Exactly. Um, you know, I think touring can be a real slog. It can be emotionally draining. I'm sure it's exhausting to go through, yeah. And when you're the type of person where your favorite thing is creating new stuff yep. and making new songs and the excitement that comes along with that process, touring... It, it, it doesn't feel the same. It's not the same thing. Yeah, and I, I can totally see that with them. And I, like I said, I respect the decision to do this. I think, you know, do whatever you need to do to, right. to be to be healthy. I think the the fallout from this, uh, I mean, selfishly, yeah, us, okay. we, don't, we don't get to see modern baseball at Boston Calling anymore, which, unfortunately, there's still a ton of other great bands there that we get to see. 
So I think that that's okay. You did mention Cam and Sorority Noise. Yeah. It it sucks for them because they have a new album coming out. They're yeah. tour, they were going to tour with Modern Baseball. I think that would have been a great one-two punch there. Looks like Cam is uh, wrangling together another tour, though, putting some dates together in other places, though, which is which is good. He's pretty resourceful. I have yeah. no doubt he'll figure it out. Um, but, yeah, that's a bummer, I mean, because Sorority Noise... It, I do feel like they're going to hit with something on this next album. I really do, too. I just feel like, based on the singles... And the press that is already happening. They're getting good press. He got a, a write-up in Up Rocks. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, it just feels like it's starting to culminate in, like, Sorority Noise, some big things might be, be happening. Yeah. You see more and more people now on Facebook who are, like, friends... Like, because we grew up with Cam... At the high school we went to, and like I, now I'm seeing people who I didn't even know were into his music mm-hmm. at all start mm-hmm. to post about it on Facebook mm-hmm. and stuff. So mm-hmm. um, I just feel like they're penetrating the mainstream sort of market a little I, bit I more. Agree. I um, agree. And based on the song, like No Halo, and um, I actually forget the name of the second single. Do you remember it? I don't remember off the top of my head. Well, look it up. Google it there, listeners. Yep. But, um, you know, it just sounds like it's going to be a pretty accessible and really enjoyable Definitely. album. Definitely. Definitely. Uh, let's move on to our next hot thought. Let's actually save this second one for last, I think. Okay. Um, yep. So last week we talked about the new Sun Gil Moon record. Uh, and I, I had the chance to listen to it all the way through yeah. now. Because what happened last episode was basically I had listened once, and the only time I probably will ever listen, and I just went on, I don't even know how long, probably five minutes. Yeah. I said I'd go for a minute, but there's too much. it's two hours long. Hot thoughts, yeah. And I just was like talking about how truly unenjoyable an experience it was <laughs> so i had not been able to listen yet i finally was able to do it and holy shit everything that jake said about this album is true it is punishing it is it is punishing in its length and in its just rambling lyrics and inaccessible song structures and lack of melody it was one of the most challenging listens i've ever had you mentioned that you were like tired and in a bad mood after. Yeah. I felt the exact same way. I was physically tired. So was I. Like six songs through. I was like, oh my God, I want to like take a nap right now. Yeah. I I literally had to go and get a cup of coffee. I chugged a cup of coffee to get through the rest of the album. It is not enjoyable. I wouldn't recommend you even attempt to listen to this. And my takeaway was, what the fuck is he actually doing here? Is this a legitimate attempt to be like, this is the music I want to make? Or is this a troll job where he's like, all you people who are weighing on Benji and just got into me, and like, I'm going to make a really challenging and accessible album to fuck with you. And I got to be honest, I went back and I listened to Benji last night. This album... Almost make almost it doesn't do it, but it almost makes me like Benji less. Really, because he's doing he's pulling a lot of the same themes and lyrics from Benji that were so emotionally resonant and putting them on this album. For example, on "I Love Ohio" or whatever or whatever that first "I Love Portugal," yeah. <laughs> "I Love Portugal." Great chorus. For context, that's one of the most accessible and catchy moments on the album is I Love Portugal. It's like a 4 out of 10, and it's the best song on the record. No, (laughs) it's an all-time hot take. That first song, like I Love Ohio or whatever it is called, something about Ohio, he talks about eating Domino's pizza. Or it even might be the second track. I don't remember what it is. He talks about eating Domino's pizza. 
And I was listening to Benji again the other night, and he talks about when yep. I was younger, like I would eat Domino's pizza. And like on Benji, it has this emotional resonance where it's like, oh, yeah, like I remember being a kid and like being so excited to like order pizza and, and like. Where my Domino's? Do, exactly. To do that. And then he kind of bastardizes that that emotional feeling on this album by going back to the well. He does that in a few different areas where he talks about people dying yes. or these other themes where it was amazing on Benji and really hit you in a real powerful way. And then once you get to this new record, it's like, dude, you've already done this and you're doing it again in a way that doesn't feel totally right. He also does a thing on this album, if I can add something on, where I, t- I was going to make that point if you didn't where... The thing about, like, how many mass shootings or killings did he talk about uh, in this know. album? It felt like every one yeah. I've ever heard of. He, he mentioned in some way and said that he had a friend in that town. Right. No one has that many close friends. No. Especially not someone as, like, seemingly... Abrasive as yeah, Mark Yeah, as Mark Kozlik. Um, and, yeah, I, oh, I forget what my other point was. He just, like... Oh, he rams points in this album just down your throat. There's no... Like, again, like, I think in the Ian Cohen article he wrote for, was it Stereo Gum? Yeah. About this, he talked about, or I saw the quote somewhere that Kozilek said, like, he's all out of metaphors, so he started writing this way. But it's like, you know, Benji had a lot of artistic, you know, stuff that, like, you can enjoy as a listener who isn't Mark Kozilek. Because the thing about this is, like, he's being so, so specific. Right. There's a point where specificity is really cool, and it can be like, you're like, wow, this is really raw and really honest. Then there's a point where it goes past that point, and it's just like it's too it's much drudgery. detail, because it's like I don't want to know about your the you getting a new room at the hotel because you were too close to the elevator, right. and then being too close to the street. So then you move to room 213. Like, that, that's too that. much detail. I don't need that, and I think a great example. And it's boring. It's it's boring. It's oppressive, and that's where it's punishing. And I think where Benji nailed that balance was. On a song like Carissa is a perfect example. He's talking about his cousin who died. And he's talking in really fine detail about how she died and the context around how that happened. Where it's like, she died. She was supposed to go to her you know, her late night RN shift at the hospital in mm-hmm. this place. In Wadsworth. Yeah. But then a verse later, he's talking about going to the funeral. And he's like, I want to go and get give and get some hugs or something. Yeah. Like, that is a line that could apply to any situation that a person could find themselves right. in if they've lost somebody, where you have the details to complement it as well. So you're getting that balance, but on this new album, it's just it's too much of the detail, and it becomes not emotionally resonant like it was on Benji. And he's also, I guess there's something to be said about this, and maybe some people see it as a genius move or whatever, but I, I just for me it doesn't really work, is where he's making points on this album... And as you know, Benji was certainly not a subtle record lyrically. No. He came right out with it. But this if this puts a whole new meaning on unsubtle. Because like there's that there's that song where he's talking about trans issues. And I'm not saying that that's not a big deal. It almost seems like he's trying too hard to prove he cares. Yeah. Because yeah. he's like he, he may as well just say over and over like, you know, this is wrong. He basically does. And then there's no like artistic there's nothing about the way he's saying it that's interesting. No. He's just being like... It's basically like the equivalent of hearing someone be like, that's fucked up. <laughs> and he kind of sings that for, yeah. for a couple verses, of, or really, I should say, says it. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's a weird experience listening to this album. I wanted to bring this up, and I don't bring him up much on the podcast. 
Anthony Fantano, mm. the needle drop, mm-hmm. you may know of him, mm-hmm. the in- internet's busiest music nerd. He's on YouTube, he reviews like every album that ever comes out. He gave this album a 9 out of 10. I didn't watch the review. He And here's the weird thing. He loved Benji, gave that a 9 out of 10. Um, he didn't like Universal Themes that much, I don't think. Okay. Gave this a 9 out of 10. I, I don't understand it. have been on the record as saying I don't really agree or get a lot of his reviews. I disagree with, like, half of them, probably. Right, yeah. Like, a, lot, a high percentage I disagree with, like, wholesale. I don't get the 9 out of 10 for this? I know. Everyone is saying this is a piece of shit. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I guess we'd have to watch the review to really get the why it's good. You know, the thing is, a quick quick note about the needle drop is I was reading a piece about him. They did a feature on Anthony Fantano. And he was like, look, I don't, I don't review records in the same way that other critics do. I don't do it for, like, artistic merit or whatever. I just do it. Like if I if I personally yeah. enjoy it, which I, I can appreciate that. I mean, it's very honest. If, dude, yeah. if you're coming out and saying you like love this album, that, you got to be honest to say that. Yeah, yeah, fine, fine. Like unless it's for shock value, right? Um, but I don't get the and I, I I think I like him a little more than you, but I, um, he's great when you agree with him, but when right. you don't, it's like it's this really alienating feeling. And the yeah. thing is, is like. If you're going to go out there and put your face on YouTube and review albums, you're going to get a lot of hate. So I can respect the fact yeah. that at least he's trying, but and I don't understand that review. I don't either. That that could be a reason why he's actually so popular. Like, you know, they talk about there's always this thing about Howard Stern, how yeah. the people who love Howard Stern listen for an hour, the people who hate Howard Stern will listen for 2 hours. Like That's I think there point. there might be an element of that in there. Um so who knows, but that's interesting, though, that he gave it such a positive review. Yeah, because when he really nails an album I love, like if he shits all over it, like the I don't know, it's not a great example, but he didn't like that Caribou album that came out a couple yeah, of years ago. Yeah, he thought it was all right, and he gave like he said Silver, which was my favorite song, was his least favorite. I watched that whole review because I was exactly. like, I was like, I'm pissed about right. these opinions. Yeah, exactly. So that's a good point. Exactly. That's valid. Yeah. Uh, quickly, I just want to touch on that new Animal Collective EP, the yeah. Painters, that came out. My take on it, I'm actually kind of pleasantly surprised. I think as a whole, it's it's decent. It's a relatively enjoyable listen. I really like the song Kind of Bonkers, and I like Jimmy Mack. Uh, the other two songs kind of sound like painting with uh, outcasts or B-sides. I think overall, it's maybe a little more enjoyable than what painting with was. Uh, what do you think? Where do you think we're at with Animal Collective right now? Um, I gotta say, I mean, I've listened to this a few times, and I really enjoy the experience of being able to pop Animal Collective on with less of a time commitment. Yeah, as a, as a yeah, you know what I mean, too. like to, me to to commit to. Um, because the thing is, is like I know. I'm gonna end up listening to this a lot more than I did painting yeah. with, like a ton more, yeah. and that's really almost completely because of the the, the time length. commitment. And I agree with you. Like I think it's bookended well. I like kind of bonkers a lot. I Jimmy Mack is a great AV Tear song. Yeah, it is. Like the I that's like he's delivering vocals in that way I love on like Forever and Green and stuff. Yeah. Not quite as abrasive. I mean, you're not going to reach the heights of Forever and Green now. Right. But he's doing really like cool vocal stuff that I love out of AV Tear and um I I think that, you know, Peacemaker and Goalkeeper they're at least interesting enough yeah, they're songs. Fine. They're, they're, they're fine. They're nice and like on yeah. a, at an EP format. Like maybe maybe painting with should have been a shorter thing. I don't yeah. know. Maybe I just have to revisit it. Uh, we probably both do. We probably both do. I think 
Animal Collective, to an extent, it gets a little bit of a bad rap this decade so far. I think the popular thing to do now is kind of shit on them a little bit to be like, ah, you know, they're they're never going to make Merryweather again. They're never going to reach the heights of Strawberry Jam or Feels or Sung Tongs again. Yeah. It's like, yeah, because they're not making that same type of music. Animal Collective has always been a group that is changing on every single release. There's no two releases that are like kind of the same. Exactly the same. And I think there's an element of that. It's like, yeah, they might be working through some different stuff they want to try. Maybe you don't like it as much as past stuff, or it might not be received as well as past stuff. But, you know, I think they're still interesting yeah. at the very least. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't really have much more to say about that. I've been enjoying it. I actually would suggest people give it a yeah, listen. If you I, like I any Animal should. Collective. I think you should. I'm excited for this next hot thought. Final hot thought here. This is a big one. This is I'm excited for this, too. New Dirty Projectors album yeah. got released early. So it was supposed to come out on February 24th. Yep. It got released on Wednesday, February 22nd. Mm-hmm. We got it on Spotify. And I have to say, I love when things get released early, but that they just say, fuck it, I'm putting it on Spotify. So, so I don't have to mess with a stream or finding the link or going to NPR and sitting through ads. I can just listen to it on Spotify. So the way I experienced this I thought was pretty cool, actually, because they, and I didn't watch it while it was live, but they released it initially on Facebook Live. And the way they did it was they had the vinyl record and they just played it like that, like literally on a record player and just into the camera, I guess. And so the first time I listened, because I initially looked on Spotify, and I think there was like an hour or two delay before it went on. Yeah. Because I looked when I saw the news that it was out, and it wasn't immediately on Spotify, so I like did some searching. It was on Facebook. So I watched it that way, and that was kind of a cool experience to see, like, th- like they actually took the record, flipped it. like mm, So there was a video yeah. of them actually manually manipulating the new record. And, I mean, that's not revolutionary, but it just goes to what we've talked about many times about new ways of sort of unveiling new albums yeah. in the era of albums not coming out the day they come out. Right, right. Um, but, yeah, and then when it was on Spotify, that made it a lot easier to just jump in and listen. I um, have been really enjoying this album. I think it's it's really interesting and, and challenging in some cool ways. Um, I was a big fan of... Swing Low Magell in their last album. Other than that, I don't have a ton of background with Dirty Projectors. Like, I have listened to Bit of Orca and I've liked it all right. But other than that, not much. Um, Sweet, Swing Low Magell and I always loved. This is a total departure in sound. This is, because it's not even really the full band. This is just, it's like I think a, it's Dave Longstreth. It's like a Dave Longstreth solo record. And, it's, and he's doing all kinds of vocal manipulations, stuff influenced by R&B, stuff influenced by rap. There's this part on... Um, it's on Keep Your Name, where he's rapping. He's like, no logos. It, da, da, yeah. da, da. it reminds me of something. It's on a Kendrick album. It, I think it reminds me of something on To Pimp a Butterfly. Yeah. Maybe for free or something. There's yeah, a part yeah, where like yeah. literally Kendrick raps in that same way. Yeah, yeah. There are parts of this where it feels almost like a, like a modern sort of trippier version of a rap album. So my take on this is I also really like it. Which is uh, a surprise. Surprisingly, because... If you've listened to this show, you know that I am not the biggest Dirty Projectors fan. I think we talked uh, probably a month or two ago about how I flat out just like don't like them. And that I'm, I was going to try and keep an open mind for this new album coming out. And I did. I, I went in, I listened to it, and the first time through I was like, you know what? This is pretty cool. This is really interesting. I'm going to definitely re-listen to this. And the second and third time that I listened, some of the songs started really popping out to me. I think Up in Hudson 
is uh, is probably my favorite right now. That's one that really stuck out. That was one of the first ones that I really liked. And uh, I, I'm in on this album. I really like it. Um, I think there hasn't been an album that is such a lock for a Pitchfork nest Best New Music as this one has been in a long time. It's just a matter of when. Because they love, they love Dirty Projectors. They've given Best New Tracks to like half the songs in this album already. They love Dirty Projectors. Just the sound of this yeah. album is something that's right in their wheelhouse right now. Well, it's a couple of things, right? The story is right. Because yeah. it's a breakup album yep. for Dave Longstreth. Um, and it's a breakup album that does not hide the fact that it's that. It's a major sonic change-up. Mm-hmm. Going from sort of the quirkiness of those previous albums and the rock band sound to this stripped-down, electronic, R&B-inspired sound. And it's a band they already have a history of loving. I mean, you mix those three things together, and it, I, I wouldn't be surprised if this sneaks into the nines. For oh, them. I think it will. I, I I can almost guarantee. I feel like it, it might will. be our first nine of the I year. I think it will. Yeah, we haven't gotten any yet. But um, or they go the other way. They could six point four. Not best new music. <laughs> it's like it's the best new music symbol, but down and blue. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, but I think I this is really good. This is enjoyable. Even if you've never listened to Dirty Projectors, or if you didn't like them, like like me. Give this a chance because, like Jake said, it's sonically different. It's basically like a, a Dave solo album here. Yeah. So I would check it out. Uh, it's definitely going to be one of the better reviewed albums of the year. This is definitely going to be on end of year lists. It's going to be a big, uh, highly talked about album. Let me ask you this question Do you think that as a result of enjoying this, you'll maybe check out Swing Low Magellan again? I might. Yeah, I might. I might. Uh, I'm not inclined to right now, but if yeah. I keep listening to this album, and I could it. see myself being like, you know what? Maybe I should give this another chance. What are some of your favorite tracks, real quick? Off this new record? Yeah. Uh, Up in Hudson yep. is one of my favorites for sure. You know, uh, Little Bubble has grown on me a bit as yeah. well. Um, and then there's another one towards the end of the album. It has some nice... Female vocals on it, yeah. That and I'm like not the sure track. if um, this is a member of the band as well, or if it's just it's I called "Cool Your Heart." I cool really, heart. I really like that song as well. What about you? What are some of your favorites? Uh, I think y- you already said them. It's "Up in Hudson" <laughs> and "Little Bubble." I think are my favorites. Um, I also find one of the most fun to listen to just from a sonic perspective. I don't know how great a song it is, but I think it's one of the most interesting. Um, an experimental track is Ascent Through Clouds. Yeah. I think that song is really interesting. And I was, I remember I was texting you yesterday and I was thinking that this is a song where like 10, 12 listens in, it could end up being up there for yeah. me. I just feel like it's one where I need to fully know it and know what's coming. And I, I even after six ish listens, whatever mm-hmm. I'm at, I still, the song will like take me by surprise yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Because that's a truly experimental type of song. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, so cool that stuff going on. on this yeah. Record. Very cool. Check it out. Let us know what you think. Tweet at us at ListenInPod. Um, let's move in. We have a few uh, mailbag questions here. So that's right. Uh, recently, it would have been Kurt Cobain's fiftieth birthday if he were still alive. So February twentieth, we saw a lot of tweets and kind of uh, remembrances about Kurt and you know his like kind of what he would be doing now. Yeah, and uh, Kevin, big friend of the pod, sent us some questions about kind of where we think Kurt Cobain would be at right now. That's right. Uh, first one here, do you think Kurt... Oh, wait, hold on, Sean. Oh, we oh yeah, the, we got a letter here. Open the mail. I don't know how you're reading it without opening it. Sorry. We Yeah, uh, yeah here's the um, the letter itself. Oh, sorry. You know, these are kind of, they're tricky. Letters are tough. 
That's that's great production value. This is, this is an actual this is an actual letter for once. We're just getting ink on ink under our fingers. Under our fingers. Yeah. Here we go. Okay. So uh, <laughs> okay. here you go, Sean. What's the, All right, the first, yeah, first um, one? Um, do you think Kurt would have another record in him after In Utero? Um, Kevin says, I imagine him just taking a break from music for years. Um, so this is a good question. My reaction is that I, and I've actually said this for a long time, I feel like I've had this take since I was like younger for some reason, I don't really know why. I always feel like what would have happened is maybe there'd be one more Nirvana record, or two, and they would have had a little bit of diminishing returns. I always saw Kurt going solo later on. Yeah, like yeah. Like in the, in the early 2000s, late 90s, he starts to release some solo stuff. I'm not sure why that's how I see it happening. Um, I just think he was someone who had such an uncompromising um, sort of vision of where he wanted music to go. Because the thing was, is like Dave Grohl was the drummer in the band, and he clearly had musical ideas. I mean... What's the second song on In Utero? Is it Scentless Apprentice? Yeah. Or is it the first? I think that's Scentless Apprentice. Serve the Servants is first. Yeah. Scentless Apprentice was co-written by Dave Grohl. Yeah. And originally, Kurt Cobain like didn't like the idea for the song. He thought it was hacky. And, yeah. Because you know that riff is like dun 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 dun. Like it's been yeah. kind of done. Yeah. And so I think Kurt Cobain like didn't like it at first because he wanted things to be a little bit more out there. Right. I think that would have been a tension that would have continued. I, I in the band. agree because like you said, Dave Grohl had his own aspirations as an artist and. Right after Nirvana was done, Dave Grohl goes into Foo Fighters, you know, and he writes Everlong, which is right. one of the great, you know, rock songs of the 90s. So I think what ends up happening would be they do make another record or two. I agree. And honestly, I think that next one might surpass In Utero in terms of quality because I think you have Dave Grohl adding more to the mix. I agree, though. I think you get to a point where they both want to kind of go and do their own things, and I think that ends up happening anyways. And Chris Novoselic just wants to be the middleman. He just wants to like. He play. wants to go be a. Pol- he's like a politician. He right just now. wants he's to like, like a senator. He or just some wants shit. to like ha- grow a beard and like play an accordion. That's yeah, like exactly. in, in like be in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. So I think that ends up happening regardless. They break up. They go both do their own thing. Um, Second question yeah. from Kevin. Unless you had more on that. No. No. Um, and this one I have a harder time with. He asked, how many modern musicians do you think Kurt would hate? And I added to this, who would he have liked? Um, in terms of who he'd hate, my assumption, and it's really the easy pick, is like I just feel like he would lash out against some of the pop stuff that's coming up. But the thing is, I also think that what always ends up happening with these counterculture sort of figureheads, I feel like as they get older, a lot of these guys soften to that yes, stuff. Yes, yes. And I just think that he would have been less... Avid in his hatred yes. of of bands that represented the opposite of him, because I can only assume that Kurt Cobain living to now means he figured his shit out. Yes, because the yes. biggest problem with him was what was going on in his head. He couldn't figure out a way to, you know, sort of reconcile the fact that he had achieved stardom despite the fact that he wanted to be this underground hero. And I think that it, it would have taken years of like searching and figuring out. A way to just live with that. Yeah, I, I, I'm in lockstep with you here. I really think he would have softened. You would be getting takes from Kurt now. You'd see a Twitter headline. You'd be like, Kurt Cobain talks about how much he loved the Adele performance at the Grammys. You think so, yeah. And you'd be like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah. But also, he'd be like, fuck the guys from 21 Pilots or whatever. He'd he be probably like, would. So it'd be, it'd be things like that. It'd be He would definitely soften, and he'd have surprising takes on people where he'd be like, wow, he likes them. Then you'd have ones where he's still like, but this is still shit. Yeah, I think. I mean, there's no there's no version of a world I don't think where Kurt Cobain isn't opinionated in right. some way. I think that was just sort of his mo. 
And he he did have that like rebellious spirit in him from the jump, it seems. So that's hard to say. In terms of specifics, I think in terms of who he would have liked on the other end of the spectrum, I think there's plenty of bands in like in some of the modern you know punk scenes that are going on that he would have enjoyed. I bet he would have liked some of the noisier emo stuff. Yep. Um, but you know it's really hard to predict because sometimes as artists grow older, things that are anything remotely like what they did, they can kind of like Jack White. Look at what Jack White thinks about the he Black Keys. He fucking hates the Black Keys. And yeah. so like you know it's hard to say because the easy answer is like oh he'd like punk music, but you don't know. I mean. Right. Maybe he's like, oh, they're kind of just doing what we did. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But not as well. Does anyone specific come to mind? No, not really. Because the thing about Kurt is he really liked pop music, too. Yeah. Like he loved with the Beatles. He liked early Beatles music. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like, uh, you know, I could see him liking Kanye. Yeah, in a weird way, maybe. Yeah. I could also see him having the take that he's a blowhard. Yeah, absolutely. That's the thing. He's so That's much- the white musician take on Kanye, though. Right, it's to be like, oh, he's he, he's a loud right. mouth. So if you if you think back to Kurt and think of like he fucking hated Axl Rose and Guns N' Roses, yeah, I don't think that goes away. I think those types of artists still are the ones that get the end of his vitriol. I mean, Guns N' Roses is still around. I think he'd still be like, fuck them, like yeah. you know. Oh, I agree. I mean, because I mean, because still now, fuck them. Yeah, seriously, that's seriously. the bottom line. Even more so now, maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, you know, I can't think of anyone specifically. I think that's generally yeah. the take, though. It could go both ways. Last one on this: um, in the current age of collaboration, do you think we would have gotten a sick Cobain McCartney track? Also, who else would he have collaborated with? I added that part. I, I absolutely think we would somehow end up getting a great Cobain McCartney or Cobain any rock Jack White you know any of these guys I feel like they would have eventually end up doing something together yeah and I think that I mean because although Kurt from what I've read he was one of these guys who like would hate one person like another like I think he liked John Lennon didn't like McCartney that yeah. much um, there's some other examples again though going could. back to this narrative where like Softens if he, if he gets to 2017 he's gonna have to figure his shit out and soften a yeah. bit I think he's like oh there's a Beatle who's still alive who I can do something with. I'm going to do it. Because Chris Novoselic and, and Dave Grohl have played together with McCartney yeah, before. And yeah. they played Beatle, like, I think, either McCartney or Nirvana songs with him. And, like, because what happens is everyone gets older is you get a little bit of perspective and you realize how little the image stuff matters. And you're like, well, you know what? This is actually a really awesome musician. And he liked the Beatles anyways. So I agree. I think that there would have been a collaboration at some point or at least... Like a performance at like an award show or something. Yeah. Oh, bi- yeah. Big time. Um, big time. Let me ask you this: Would Kurt be on Twitter? And if he was, what type of Twitter user would he be? I have, I think, an exact answer for you. Kurt would be like a Louis C.K. Twitter user where he doesn't have one anymore, but he had a really good one in 2012. <laughs> right. He had a really good one, and then he quit it because he realized that it it's had become like a masturbatory um, yeah, parody yeah. of itself. Yes. And yeah. so he, like, Kurt loved Twitter. He wasn't an early adopter, but he, like, he had it, like, you know, yep. during the glory days. Yep. But he dropped it. Okay. Because I feel like he, I t- I, he's someone who, like, it became too in vogue and he didn't want to have it anymore. It's kind of like Father John Misty right now. Yeah. Or, like, he deleted Father John his, Misery. That's right. Oh, quick, quick thought that I forgot to mention about, su- about Sun Kill Moon. Laugh out loud funny part on yes. Philadelphia Cop where he's making fun of music writers where 
he is basically having a conversation with himself and he's like, oh my God, do you get to go to South by Southwest? He's like, yeah, I know Jim James. I know Dr. John Misty. He's like, oh, Sufjan Stevens is texting me right now. I, that I laughed out loud at. And I did too. was maybe the best part of that album. When he said Dr. John Misty, so I funny. laughed out loud. I did. So funny. Um, we have another mailbag question. We got another mailbag question here. And this is a mailbag question slash Jimbo. <laughs> big, this is a big Jimbo. Yeah. Um, so... Kelsey, big friend of the pod. Real Laura Dern. At Real Laura Dern on hey, Twitter. Hey, congrats on the new TV show on HBO, Big Little Lies. Big friend of the pod, Laura Dern. She writes... You were great in Wild with she, Reese Witherspoon. Saddest part of the movie. She yeah. writes... Sounds like you just crumpled it. Oh, no, I was crumpling the envelope. Okay. Um... She writes, In 2010, I saw Weezer play the whole Pinkerton album, never listened to the album, and I don't even like the band that much. Next tweet. My dad has uh, brought me to see Weezer four times now because he thinks I really like them. So mailbag question, is there an artist that someone thinks you like, but you don't have the heart to tell them the truth? So the Jimbo here is this, not liking this, Weezer. This is just a Jimbo. It is. This is a big time Jimbo. It's a Jimbo for not liking Weezer. It's a Jimbo for not liking Pinkerton. Uh, it's a Jimbo by your dad for wasting the the ticket on you to go see this seemingly great show. And it's a Jimbo for just not speaking up. It, yeah. So this is a good question, though. This is a good it, question. It's a good mailbag question. Is there anyone who we dislike that we don't have the heart to tell anyone? My take on this, because I was looking through, I was I was like, this is a good question. Who who can I t- talk about here? You and I have pretty strong opinions on music, and I don't think. We shy away from saying if we like or dislike anyone, really. So I think all of the people or artists who I have disliked over the years, I just come out and say it. And there's been a couple good examples. We talked about Dirty Projectors. I have no problem saying I didn't like them up until this album. We've talked about Run the Jewels. I have no problem saying I don't like them as much as other people. I think those are two good ones for me where it's just like, yeah, I'm going to own up to it and, and and say I don't like them. What's interesting is, so Run the Jewels is at Boston Calling. Yeah. If there's a whole group of people who are like, oh, I'm going to go see Run the Jewels. And I'm like, nah, I'm going to stick back here and I'm going to watch, like, I don't know, somebody else. Yeah. I have no problem doing that. So, I I don't know. I think it just, we might be, the like, not the best people to ask this question to, but I'll just come out and say if I don't like people. Yeah, well, and the question here is, is a really specific thing because it sounds like what real Laura Dern is going through is your you can't you can't muster the heart to tell your dad because it means a lot to him mm. that you like this band. He's got stock in the fact that you like it and mm. he's built this like relationship bridge father daughter thing where you know this is a bonding thing. We both love Weezer. So for that I can see that. I don't have that really with anybody where like I anything really hinges on me loving a band as much as them. And it's the same sort of answer where it's like it's usually not bands that I straight up don't like that I don't have the heart to tell. It's bands that I just don't like as much as others. So yeah. like Be- uh, Beach House is the perfect example that I brought up on the podcast before. A band I like, but I get flack for not liking them as much as other people. Um, one with Sean that we were talking about when we first got this question was Frightened Rabbit, where I just like, they're good. They don't do it for me as much as you. And sometimes there's guilt associated with that sure. feeling. Or you wish you could like it as much. Another, actually, another is like Beach Slang and Japan Droids for me, where I like, I you know, I like their music, I enjoy it. It's I never feel like I get to that next level like you're able to. I think the and there's real, some guilt there. I think the real thing is that Jake's wrong. Real Laura Dern needs to 
just like really try and like Weezer and Pinkerton yeah. because the Blue Album and Pinkerton are classics. Yeah. Your dad has great taste for liking them. You need to kind of like buck up here and just fucking listen to them and enjoy them because they're really good. And you're solving two birds for with one stone there because you're um, you're liking Weezer, so that expunges a Jimbo. That's right. And the other one is one Jimbo out the window. So no Jimbo. And the other thing is you then don't have to fake your way through a relationship. That's right. Bonding experience. So you're with your having dad. a healthier relationship with your dad. You don't have to lie to him. Uh, I, you know, I think the key to all of this is just listen to Pinkerton until you like it. There's yeah. a lot of great songs in there. Tired of Sex, Across the Sea, El Scorcho, yeah. um, The Good Life. There's List, a, just listen to The Good Life. Every like, song on. is good on come it. Come on. Okay, yeah, that's, that's a Jimbo. That's a big Jimbo. <laughs> that's a big Jimbo. Uh, okay, we have a Mount Rushmore for you. We do. Um, actually, no. We have a new segment. We have a new segment. Called Show and Tell. Oh, yeah, okay. New segment called Show and Tell. Uh, this is a new segment where we discuss a live show that we've seen, and uh, it's a pun. Do you guys get it? Show and tell it's you a great, about it. It's a great pun. Yeah. I actually I love that this now has a name because we've done this on many episodes. That's right. Good job naming this. Thank you. Because I just realized, I was like, oh, Show and Tell, it's a good segment name. Honestly, as you were saying it here, I was like, oh, we're going to a show and we're telling about it. Yes. That's actually perfect. Yes. So I'm going to talk at length for how, about how good it works. Is. Works both ways. Thank you for explaining it because I'm sure there's listeners out there, like maybe certain people who don't like Weezer, they might not have gotten this joke. So thank you for explaining that. So on this show and tell, we have two artists to talk about, Jake. One, Julie Byrne. We went to go see Julie Byrne, folk artist we've talked about on this podcast before. We really like her new album. Um, we saw her in Portsmouth at 3S Art Space. Great venue, by the way, for New Hampshire really, listeners. Check that place out. If you're in New Hampshire, if you're in the Seacoast area or really anywhere around there, please go. Please support it. It's a great, great place. Got to give that place some shine. And we say that because we went to this show and there was maybe 40 people there. It was very, very sparsely attended. Maybe 40 people, uh, which bummed me out because Julie Byrne put on a great show, a uh, very intimate setting. Yeah. Uh, I liked it. It made me appreciate some of the songs on this new record more, solidified that it was my album of the year so far. Yeah. Uh, we actually got to meet her afterwards at the merch table. Uh, we both bought a copy of the album. We talked to her. Um, you know what's interesting? <laughs> she, uh, like, we're like, oh, hey, great show. Like, you know, thanks for coming through. She's like, oh, where are you guys from? I was like, oh, like Manchester. It's like 40 minutes away. She's yeah. like, oh, what do you guys do there? I was like, you don't want to hear either of our answers to this. Yeah, she, she, she was like, oh. So first of all, Julie Byrne, lovely person, very sweet. Has very much sort of a uh, disaffected. It might be the wrong word. It's she has a like a glow about her where she's like seemingly very sort of serene. Serene is the perfect word. Serene. She's a glow. It's like she's sort of floating where she's like, oh, everything is very. It's nice and like my hands are like folding at the wrists. <laughs> And I'm not, you know, I'm not, you know, nothing is, nothing's wrong. Everything These are all, is, this is a positive trait, by the way. Positive traits. She, she is someone who would be a good foil for us on the show because we're here, we're, we're uptight. Opposite. We're like, we're how do opposite. we rate these albums? Right. We must, right. like, analyze things. Right. She's like, everything, you know, the world is 
is art flowing through us? And it's like that. I don't even know if that means anything, Julie Byrne, but I love it. And so we go up to the after the show. We go up to the the booth and buy a record. And and yeah, we we told her we were from Manchester. She go, oh, what what do y'all do there? And we were like, I was like, uh, I, like my office job. Yeah, like I have a just a job. Yeah. Like, she's, like, like, she's like, oh, you're not like traveling the country and following your every whim and fancy. Like, right. no, I live like a kind of a boring life. Right. So this was a, a interesting concert going experience because. Um, you know, it's not that often actually that you get to see the artist after and really talk with them for right. a minute. Um, and I enjoyed it, and the show itself was great. I, yeah. I mean, obviously, I, I recommend anyone listen to the Julie Byrne record. Uh, we've talked about it a bunch on the podcast, but um, it was a short set. But I think she did a good job, and I like what she does live, where she had one guy up there with her playing a synth. She played mostly acoustic guitar, and then to her right, she had a guy playing just a violin. That violin was haunting. It, it was, was really good. It was a really nice accompaniment for what she's doing on those songs, and. Um, what I thought was cool, I got a nice little uh, sort of takeaway, was that my three favorite songs in the album, she played back-to-back-to-back to, back to, back yeah. to start the show. Yeah. Sleepwalker, uh, Melting Grid, and whatever that second-to-last track is. I don't remember the name of it. Is it See As It Glides? Yes. Is that the one it yes. is? Yeah. Yep. Great songs. Yep. Yeah, so really good show. Uh, and then on Monday of this past week, yep. we had literally the complete opposite of yep. this show. We went to go see Japan Droids. At the Royale in Boston, uh, and the opener was Craig Finn. Craig Finn of the Hold Steady, which is which is an interesting opener. Um, it makes sense, but I got the vibe, and I don't know if you did, Sean. Do you think there were some people there who didn't know like who he was? Oh, Oh, one hundred percent. I would say most people there didn't know who Craig Finn was. Because if you know who Craig Finn is and you know what the Hold Steady is about, um, even someone like me, where I've listened to Boys and Girls in America. You know, like a fair little amount of times, but I get what they're about and I know what they kind of represented. Even for me, it was kind of weird to see him there Dude. in that venue because he's he has to be in his forties, right? Oh yeah, he's he's getting old. Craig Finn to me is like, oh shit, that's like a modern indie rock legend that's right. up there right now, and people don't seem to give a shit. No, they didn't care or understand it because the thing is, is like. Unfortunately for him, and this doesn't matter for the music, but he just doesn't look the part. No. And that's, it, you know, he, he's a great performer. He was actually electric. He, he was probably the best performer to play all night yeah. in terms of just sheer performance and, and bringing electricity to the stage. But, you know, unfortunately for him, playing to younger crowds, he just doesn't look the part of a rock star. No, and also... He just looks like a normal dude. He's just playing his solo stuff. He's right. not playing anything by the Hold Steady. And, like, those Hold Steady songs, especially from Boys and Girls in America, would rip. They'd yeah. be awesome to see live. But do you get the impression, though, that most people going to see a Japan Droids uh, show... Show and tell... Wow, that was that yeah, was an was all-time like, brain lapse. <laughs> couldn't think of the word show. It's Jimbo. That's like in, in, in uh, Always Sunny when they're like, well, you couldn't think of the word words. <laughs> <laughs> We're literally talking about shows. <laughs> I mean, I don't think a lot of that demographic maybe knows all that much about the history of the whole no, show. No, I don't think or so. Or has even listened to that record. And, and to be honest, I didn't either until a few months ago even. Right. And I'm talking here like, ooh, Craig Finn's a legend. It's like, yeah. fuck you. You didn't know about the Hold Steady till like November. Right. So, yes, it's the same thing for me too. Um, and a cool moment was when they invited him up on stage. Yeah, so he Japan came, Droids. Did. That's right. So Japan Droids' last two songs of the night, they had Craig Finn come and perform with them, which was just really cool to see. I just had like a smile on my face the whole time. Yeah. I was like, this is, this is really cool and unique because they said we wanted to do something special for Boston – 
we're just going to do it for this show, and he ended up coming out and playing with them. What did you think of, of Japan Droids in general? I thought they put on a good show, and I, w- one thing that I really appreciated more than I ever had before, um, and it's kind I guess it's like a little bit of like a guitar nerdy thing, but I think that dude's a really good guitar player. I agree. That does not come across really until you see them live. I agree. Because I thought the same thing when I saw them for the first time like four years ago. Yeah, and the tone he gets up there dude. is incredible. I don't know exactly yeah. what amp he uses, but he plays this Telecaster with humbucker pickups, which is not the standard pickup on a Tele. It's, it gets, it's a beefier sound. Um, and the, the tone on his guitar it's, is like perfect. Yeah. And the way he plays, the thing about Japan Droids is... Like, it's just two guys. It's just drums and it's just guitar. And you can be a guitar player in a band and bass and rhythm guitar will make up for a lot of flubs on your part. He has nowhere to fall. He's just walking a, sort of doing a trapeze act, you know what I mean? And um, there's nowhere to, there's no cushion. And the sound, like you said, that he gets, it's huge. The sound is huge. He would just be hitting one chord, like, in between songs and it would just erupt through the entire venue. And um, you know what I noticed too? Like, there's certain songs where he has to play really fast. Oh, yeah. And like, he's like ripping through. Dude's arms are like jacked. Yeah. Like, he, his, he's, like a, he's a little guy. He's a slight dude. Yeah. But like, his arms are like, holy shit. Like, it looks like you lift it's every like, single day. And it's, but it's jacked in that way where it's like, it's, a, it's, it's toned. It's toned. But it's like a working man's jack. Yeah. Where it's like, yeah. it's just a lot of tendons and yeah. a lot of like, yeah. like raw muscle. Yes. And he, the way he played is really interesting because he has to take care of all the guitar duty that's going on. Um, the other thing that I, I took away from it is they they like they come across as really nice guys. Yes, they're a couple Canadians. Couple so you, Canadians. Sorry. Uh, so, so, oh, sorry. Sorry, you had to listen to these new songs here off the new record. Sorry. Oh, oh, sorry. We'll we'll get back to Celebration Rocks real soon. Sorry about that. Because the thing about it is like they. They understand that people don't love the new album in the same way they right. love the old the Celebration Rock, and that a lot of people there maybe even haven't heard it. Right. And they were making, you know, concessions to that self-deprecating jokes. They're being like, "Oh, thanks for being so polite through the new songs." Yeah. Like, here's one that we know you guys want to hear, and then they'd go into like Wet Hair or like like an older song or something like that. And I thought they were just like generally really good performers. Yeah. I mean, I obviously I love Celebration Rock. And we just talked about it on this episode. I've never been as big a Japan Droids fan as you have. I still have enjoyed them. Um, but the problem is with, with that dynamic is I was, you know, being there, I'm like, I feel like a little bit of a fraud. I don't yeah. know if I'm, I'm as big a fan. Yeah. I'd yeah. listen. I've listened to the albums, all of them. Have I listened as much? Have I enjoyed them as much? I haven't. Right. And so for me, there was that little bit. But it's like, for anyone else... No one else thinks that way. No. No one else is like, no. I'm a fraud because I have one friend who likes this band more than me. There's probably people there who are like, I'm the biggest Japan Droids fan. I love Japan Droids. They probably haven't even listened to the new album yet. Yeah, they know like one, they know like a couple songs. Right. So, Rock. yeah. So, I wouldn't worry too much about it. The House That Haven't Built, last thing, The House That Haven't Built is a sight to see live. It's great. People lose their shit for it. Rightfully so. It absolutely rips as a live song. It's amazing. People crowd surfing, stage diving, doing everything. It is one of the best songs you can see live, period. The crowd surfing was great. And this was an interesting crowd where there was not really any moshing, but there was all kinds of crowd surfing. Yeah. It's a big crowd surfing vibe where usually those things kind of go hand in hand. Yeah. And there were stage dives. 
And yep. this is an all-time Japan droids are Canadians and are very polite moves. Sorry. Uh, oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. They, um, one guy gets up on stage. He got up a little too close to, um, is the guitar player Brian King or David Prowse? Brian King, guitar, yeah. Uh, I never, I can never remember which one's which. And he gets up there and the security guy pulls him away and takes him off. At the end of the song, the drummer yells over. He's like, hey, uh, sorry, but uh, could we make sure that that guy doesn't get kicked out of the venue and maybe just get put back in the crowd because he's just trying to have a good time? Right, yeah, which I, was, I really appreciate. Yeah, I did That's too. really cool. As someone who was um, kicked out of a show once for falsely starting a mosh pit, if, if anyone knows me, you know I would never, ever do that. No. Because I'm not that type of person. I was misidentified by a security guard like, you, come with me. You're out of here. Yeah. I was like, L- for what? Like, I didn't do shit. This, like, is a night bef- this was a night of situation. Well, yeah. if, if in fact... Uh, we don't know s- that. We don't know that. If in fact we're going to say that, uh, that he didn't do it. That's right. That's right. So I was falsely accused. It'd be nice if these places had more of a lenient policy. As long as you're not hurting people or like really... You know, like yeah. fucking up their night. Like, we were at the Royal, okay. right? We were at the Royale, right? Yeah, Royale. And they seem to have actually a more lenient policy than most places yeah, I've seen. Like yeah, when yeah. you're at some other venues, they have the, like a strict the no Sinclair moshing. For one, is like they'll kick your ass out yeah. if you do anything. No moshing, no crowd surfing, no nothing. You know, nothing. Um, and Stonehands, big shout. But some venues will put the security guards like up front to catch people. Yeah, they didn't do any of that. House at of the Blues Royale. would do right. That, yeah, yeah. Uh, here. They were letting people get up on the Just stage do whatever. and stage dive. Yeah. Would you ever stage dive? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't even find myself in that area where I'd have to be propping people up. We were up in the balcony. That's exactly where I want to be. A safe distance away. When I first saw a them. perfect view. Seriously, bird's eye view. When I first saw them at the Paradise, like four or five years ago, there was, a, there was even more stage diving. It was like five, six people every single song would get up there and dive off. And Brian King was was really funny. He was like, he's like, all right, I know you guys want to stage dive, and like that's cool. But he's like, this is my fucking stage, and if you stay up here too long, like your ass is out of here. He's like, get up here and jump the fuck off, and like that's it. Really? So, yeah, yeah. It was interesting. Like he was a lot more vocal and like talkative at that first show. He's probably in a less happy place in his life because he's touring, and you know what I mean. Like now, it seems like he's kind of more well adjusted. He might have been an angrier person. No, I mean like it was all good natured. Is oh, what okay. I mean. I it what was what mean. I mean. Like okay. he was very talkative and like joking around and stuff. I feel oh, like oh, I got you. The interaction with the audience was greater at that first show than it was with this one. Granted, it is the start of a new tour. They haven't toured in a while. Yeah. It's a new record. They're probably not used to playing all the songs. And they're bigger venues, so it's harder to have that intimate feel. We were at a much smaller club before where he could, like, see the people and be like, you know, we're just going to talk and joke around and have a great time. So, a little bit different. Last Um, last note, um, I think that is worth saying is that just generally... Celebration rock songs, they just, oh, they, they, they rip live. <laughs> Those they really songs do. fuck. Yeah, they're awesome live. And having heard like the beginning notes and the beginning riffs to all those songs so many times in like drinking situations and at parties and stuff. And hearing them live was a really cool experience. Yeah, absolutely, because they do a great job recreating. They it. do. They really, really do. Uh, let's go into our last two segments here. We have a Mount Rushmore. Actually, let's wrap up our. Uh, our uh, show-and-tell segment here with uh, a quick Mount Rushmore. Mount Rushmore of best nights ah, yes. to see a show. Yeah. Uh, okay, I'll go first. For me, Friday's my favorite, so that's first on the list. I'm going to go Saturday after that, and then I actually go Wednesday, Thursday. Okay. I think Monday and Sunday are all-time bad. 
Monday and Sunday are are terrible. Yeah. Um, I don't really want to do anything on on Sunday no. besides like be anxious about the week starting. Yeah. So and like just so just waste one of two days off. Pretty much. Which is what I do too. My my Mount Rushmore. I also have Saturday. I, I'm going Saturday number one. Okay. Because I like having the full day to get yourself to wherever you're going. It's less stress. Number two is Friday. Number three is Thursday. Yeah. And then yeah, number four I have is Wednesday yeah. as well. Little so Mount so not an electric Mount Rushmore since no, we picked the same. Pretty floor. much the same. But uh, we have a real Mount Rushmore for you now, though. Based on the shows that we saw, we thought of you know what? There's a lot of different situations that you can find yourself listening to music in, whether it be a live show, you're at work, you're falling asleep, you're in the car. There's a lot of different ways you listen to music. So we wanted to do a Mount Rushmore. Of music listening situations. Yep, and I just changed one as you said something. Okay, you want to go? You want to go first? Yeah. Uh, so I'm gonna. My first one on my Mount Rushmore is doing work slash homework. Okay. Um, while I'm writing papers and stuff, music is a. I I churn through albums when I'm doing that. So that's the first one. And at work, I listen to music almost all day or podcasts. Uh, a new one that is now on the Mount Rushmore. Mornings on the weekend, specifically when I hop in the shower, yeah. after whenever I roll out of bed on a weekend, pop on. Lately, it's been guided by Voices albums yeah. or like some Bill Evans, a little yep. bit of piano jazz. I enjoy that on the weekend. Um, third one for the Mount Rushmore: hanging out, drinking. So like it, it can include a partying situation or like an intimate hangout situation with a with a friend. Uh, and and last is falling asleep, which I haven't. I've done less of lately. Yeah, but I once in a while. Uh, you know what I did recently that was weird? I woke up at like 6 a.m. out of nowhere, couldn't really fall back to sleep, so I put on the new Father John Misty songs and fell asleep mm. to that. Made for an interesting rest. Yeah, yeah. Because those are not restful songs. No, not really. So that's my Mount Rushmore. Uh, yeah, mine, my, I have Driving By Myself. This is... Fun for the whole family. An amazing listening experience. You can play it as loud as you want through your car speakers. Uh, you're a captive audience in your own car because you're like, well, what else am I going to do? That's a great way to listen to new albums or old favorites, uh, especially on a longer car ride. I I fucking love doing that. It's one of my favorite things. I would rather drive by myself than with other people 10 out of 10 times So let me if, ask, I, if I have the choice. Let me ask you this. What about a, a car ride like we had on the way back from Boston where it's like we're singing along to songs together, you, me, and Josh? Big friend of the pod. That's a good one. That's a good one where you... But everyone in the car kind of has to be on the same page with the music that's being played. Yeah, that's you, you true. need, like, most people to be... Because sometimes what happens is, you know, whoever's driving or whoever's controlling the music will kind of just play what they want to play. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm, I'm pretty giving on that Absolutely front. you are. Absolutely. And sometimes that doesn't end up happening for whatever reason. And then it's not the best listening environment. If you can get everyone on the same page where you're like, yes, we all love this song, we all know the words, then it's great. That's an all-time fun situation. That is too rare, I think, to be in my Mount Rushmore. So I'm going driving by myself first. Um, At work is another one for me that kind of gets me through the workday, gets me through doing work. Um, An intimate hangout. Is I, I prefer that over kind of a bigger party or yeah. something like that. There are highs that you can hit at a party where uh, you might all be singing along. It's kind of bright side. It's kind of yeah. It's kind of like the car ride though, where it's yep. like you kind of all have to be on the same page. You all have to like that what's being played. Yeah, that's really hard to do sometimes in, totally. a, in a bigger setting. And I kind of cheat. I feel like I combined those. You kind of did. Which was so a yeah, cheat. yeah. You are cheating cheat with that. Uh, so intimate hangout for me, where you're hanging out with one or two people, where. 
you like the music. Maybe you're having a serious conversation. For the record, that's by far that's, the better of the two. Okay. There's no question. And then my last one, uh, I have a live show, live mm-hmm. setting. Um, I think music can elevate to another level. You can have another experience with it when you're hearing it live. Um, you might like songs better than what you did beforehand. There's this mystical quality to live shows where if you're in the right mood, it can really hit you in the right way mm-hmm. and be a really rewarding experience. So live show for me is uh, my last one on the Mount Rushmore. There we go. That's great. So our last segment of the night is Two Truths and a Lie. This has been a fun yes. game that we've started to implement it's the past new, couple It's weeks. my new favorite segment. It's a fun segment. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, you've played this game before. I'm going to tell Sean... Two lies, one truth about a band. He's going to try to guess. Uh, no, I got that backwards. Two truths, one lie about a band. He has to guess which one's the lie. This week, in honor of their new album, we've selected Dirty Projectors. Dirty Projectors. You know what I've come to realize about Two Truths and a Lie? The reason why we like it so much, I think, is because we like trying to stump each other. Yep. You, like, the person asking the question likes to make the other person be wrong. The person... Answering likes to prove they're the smartest guy in the room. I, I think that's why we like this. Well, I, maybe that's part of it. I also like it because it's a—it's like it puts a spin on. It allows us to say to tell trivia, yeah, yeah. but in a way that yes. is like I assume, hopefully, more compelling to listen. No, to. my no, no. I think it's just it's this unspoken competition in both of our heads that we're doing. That, the, that's why it's just to win. <laughs> yeah, just to win. Just to win at all costs. No, I'm just kidding. It's fun trivia. Uh, okay. Okay. So here we, here we go. Uh, first one in Two Truths and a Lie. Dirty Projector's lead singer, Dave Longstreth, majored in music at Yale University before dropping out as a sophomore. He has said that he spent most of his time at Yale holed up in his dorm room making music. Okay, that's number one. Okay. Number two. Former member Amber Deradorian is the niece of Frank Zappa. Dave Longstreth has previously called Zappa a major influence on the band's quirky, progressive sound, calling Zappa's work technical but expressive in a way that I always envisioned my band sounding one day. Third, Longstreth has collaborated with many other high-profile artists. He uh, contributed to the song 4 or 5 Seconds by Paul McCartney, Rihanna, and Kanye West. He scored the 70-piece orchestral arrangement for the closing track on Joanna Newsom's Divers. And he produced the rhythm section for several songs on Solange's A Seat at the Table. Okay. Um, first of all, we were talking before the show about how I, I don't know much about Dirty Projectors. I was talking to someone at work today. I just happened to be talking about Dirty Projectors. And they mentioned a fact. I was like, oh, that's interesting. That fact was that he contributed to four or five seconds. Oh. However... I don't know if the rest of that is actually true. Because you had a, like a few other facts in there, which is sort of cheating. No, it's not. I'm going to go with that one being true, though. Okay. I think I'm going to say true on that one. Okay. The one. So you're left with the Zappa niece or the Yale University? Yeah. I, and I think I know what the lie is. In either one of these, this is going to be a 50-50 guess. I think the lie is either he didn't go to Yale, he went to another school, or Frank Zappa isn't her niece and it's someone else also influential in music. I'm going to go with the fact, and I might just be wrong, I might have already missed the lie that I picked as a truth. I'm going to go... It's a game of deception. I know, I know. I'm going to go with... 
He didn't go to Yale. I think that's the lie. I'm going to go with the Frank Zappa one is the truth. What do we got? Wrong. Mm. Frank Zappa was the lie. And here's the yeah. thing about Zappa. I actually didn't even get you on a technicality. The whole thing's false. Ah. The whole thing. And here's what I did, Sean. So the originally the falsehood was just about Dave Longstreth saying that he was an influence. Because, fun fact, this is Dave Longstreth's quote about Frank Zappa. Frank Zappa, I fucking hate. <laughs> I think that shit is so fucking nerdy. It's technical in this way that's not really musical. It's not expressive. Yeah, I hate that shit. In particular, I fucking hate Frank Zappa. Wow. So Because he, he had been compared to them. And so what I did was I was like, that on its own doesn't sound like something that would necessarily be... Like, why would... That's so specific. So what I did was, like, I'll add the thing about former member being the niece. I was like, that makes it seem like there's this weird connection. Yeah. So that was my logic. So you... You created this whole cloth. Yeah. That's good. That's good. That was a completely... That's really good. Because I considered going the route of being like, he went to Cornell University. Yeah. That's too easy. Yeah. We're going to get good at these. We are. You know what I think is kind of bullshit is doing stuff like that? Let's try not... To change one little detail yeah, no. to fuck with people. No, that's why I did it this that's way. That's not as fun. No, it's this not. is a great one. Okay, you good. succeeded on this. You won the week with uh, with two truths and a lie. How crazy! How crazy! Thank you. I, I I'll, I'll take that in good in good faith. Yeah. Let me ask you this: How crazy is it that he contributed to all those songs? Four or five seconds. Scored the orchestral piece on the last song on Divers. How Amazing. Not, isn't that crazy? Amazing. And that he wrote rhythm sections for songs. This guy's like pretty talented, it seems. Very. And if he was, because he was studying music at Yale, seems like he's just, he's a sort of a smarty pants too. Yeah. You hey, know, college boy. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, we're, we're yeah. the working class of music yeah. here. So, you know, my conversation today almost led me to a win uh, with that four or five seconds detail. Oh, oh, let me tell you, because, okay. So for the listeners, Sean revealed to me before we started that that had happened, that he found out a fact. And so I removed, I had three truths and I was going to pick, and I picked which fact I thought was most likely he was told, so I'll say it now. And the fact is that, according to Wikipedia, Dirty Projectors have more than 20 former members, including Rostam Butmonglidge and Ezra Koenig of Vampire Weekend and Wes Miles from R.R. Riot. That was not... I. Honestly, probably would have picked that as the lie. I thought I really would have picked that as the lie. And see, that's the funny thing about doing this because when you told me that, I thought I'd mentioned that to you before. The thing about Rostam and Ezra, especially, I was like, he'll probably think Wes Miles is the distractor. That's true. Wow, isn't that that's, that's really crazy. interesting? Look at someday. Look at them on Wikipedia, listeners and Sean. Their their past members section is unlike any I've ever seen. Wow, it's, it's, a, it's like, a who's who of the indie world. It's literally like twenty members. Wow, interesting. Yeah, I probably would have picked that as the lie, actually. So, interesting. That was Two Truths and a Lie, and that was Fun segment. episode 61 in the books. So, uh, you know what? I think we got some good mailbag questions this week. Let's keep that going. Let's make this an interactive show. I think that makes it more fun for everybody. So. I, I love the mailbag Yeah, keep questions. those coming. Keep it, those coming. Even if it's a big-time Jimbo on your part, right? keep the keep the mailbags coming. By not liking Weezer. You know, and, 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 and don't take it personally. Keep but, writing it. But take it personally. Right. You know, just remedy the situation. Right. That's all it is. Fix it. We're here to help. Right. It's like Dear... dear uh, what's it called? Dear Alice. Dear Abby. Dear Abby. Yeah. Dear Alice. Yeah. I guess it's called Dear Prudence in some places. I think that's where the Beatles got yeah, it. it or yeah. Dear Prudy. Yeah. Interesting. That, that must that, be like a UK thing. That's an exciting way to end. <laughs> <laughs> See you next week. Thanks, everyone.
Okay, we're live. So I'm looking through my Spotify artists to try and find an answer to this mailbag question yep. that people will actually already know about. It'll be the the artist that you yep. dislike that you don't have the heart to tell people. I'm just scrolling through. I see Kamaya come up. And uh, so I was at my little sister's basketball game yesterday at yeah. Central High School. and uh, Or Tuesday. And um, I, I'm watching the game. And there's this girl on the team, and I'm pretty sure her name is Kamaya, or ve- something very, very similar. Kamaya? And all I can think about, because my dad, think, picture my dad, okay? I, I can picture, picture him picture, easily. Picture my dad, and like when she makes a good play, he's like, yeah, Kamaya, good job, Kamaya. And all I can think of is like, Kamaya, a good night in the ghetto. <laughs> and like, my, like and just that wrapped up with my dad and my little sister in this basketball game and like this like 16 year old girl. And I'm just like, this is this is weird. World's colliding. Yeah, I'm picturing your dad in the background of a Kamaya music video. <laughs> this is just a record for my dog. <laughs> for my dog. It's just a good night in the ghetto. That's Stonehenge for uh, you. The other thing. Is obviously was really really nice out today. Got to, got to walk back and forth from work. Got question, to wear my denim jacket. Question for you: uh, We had a little bit of an Indian summer, and my question comes in: Is that an offensive term? I, is it like an Indian giver? I think that's actually exactly what it is. It's like what you you because you get something and it's and taken that, away. Yeah, Ooh. probably shouldn't be dropping Indian. No, summer. there's a Mad Men episode I just watched with Brittany. Called Indian Summer in season one. It's like episode uh, nine or something. Is it about something being given and then being taken away? <sighs> After it was promised? They're a little bit more abstract with their titles, I think. You know what? Because li- there literally was an Indian Summer happening. I, that's a, I didn't even think of that, actually. The, like, the phrase? Yeah. I didn't even think of, like, oh, what that could mean. I was like, oh, they're going through a hot spell in the fall. Like, yeah, I think what it means is it's like, it's almost. Because this is, this is my thing about, and I know you were getting to a story, and this is not really related to the phrase, but whether, and, and this might be a hack bit from a New England comic, but the thing is, is like I feel like whether in New England, if you grew up here, if you just like know what it's about, there every year there's a point where it's like unseasonably warm during the winter, yeah, and no one trusts it. Everyone's relationship with the weather in New England is like that of... A child's relationship to their abusive or alcoholic parent, where it's just like there's trust issues big time, and it feels like the, like you know they've mistreated you for so long and right. so consistently that when you get a nice day and things are going well, you're like you know what I I think I'm gonna still wear a coat. <laughs> right, yeah, I don't know. Exactly. I don't I don't trust yeah. this, and they and they take it away all the same later on down the line. Yeah, because winter it just like takes forever. I've been, I don't tr- I don't trust it. No, I don't. I don't that's exactly it. what I'm saying. We yeah. have trust issues. We do. We do. <laughs> we have. I, I don't think I just did a quick search of the synopsis of Indian Summer, that Mad Men episode. I literally just watched it. I don't think any of the themes are like given something and taking yeah. it back, other than the fact that that's when Roger comes back to the office after yeah. having his heart attack to placate Lucky Strike, uh, and then he has another heart attack. So that's kind of like a what season is this? Season one. Oh, okay. Season See, I, I barely remember yeah, where anything yeah, yeah, happened. Yeah. It's been years. Dude, this rewatch has been amazing. I mean, I, it, it's it, so good. Honestly, it's been like six and a half years since I watched season one of Yeah, yeah it's, so, worth, it's worth revisiting. It's yeah. so fucking good. But the other thing, I, uh, I mean, it's been so nice out. I just wanted to bring up the fact why and who structured the months the way that they are. For example... Why did they make February only 28 days, but they made January and March 31? Why not 
take one day off of January, take one day off of March, put them into February, and you have three months in a row that are all 30. Yep. So instead of having the the desert that is January, yep. the long, hard, gross month of January. February, blink and you miss make it. Make that 30. Yeah, why not just make them 30? Make I them don't all know. 30. Because the weather is doing weird shit, so it's not like that makes any difference. It's not like, oh, all of a sudden, once you hit March 1st, it's nice out. No. You're going to get a fucking ice storm on March 7th, and you're going to want to kill yourself still, because you have seasonal affective disorder, and it's cloudy and cold, and you can't exercise, and you just want to die. I'm, I'm with you on all those points, and to be honest, kind of forgot the initial question, which was, what are the lengths? Yeah, why? 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 Who, I don't know. Who structured this? I, you know what I was why? You know what I was about to just do? I was about to do the thing where someone asks you a question and you don't know, and what you try to do is give them like your best approximation of an answer. Yeah. I was about to try to explain it, and then I was like, no, you know what, Jake? You just don't know. This is what I do with clients all the time. Yeah, right. Uh, I just talk confidently, and I get through it. And hope it goes all right. that's it. And to any they, of my clients listening to this, I don't do that. They, they call, I know exactly what I'm talking about at all times. They, I'm an expert. That's why you pay us. Where nothing could possibly go wrong. Um, they, uh, what was I going to say? Your clients call in and they're like, Sean, uh, you know, so uh, everything looks good on this. Um, I don't know what the fuck you make report, yeah. but uh, but I'm wondering about the uh, the date, the lengths of the months. Were those de- were those decided uh, arbitrarily, or uh, is there some logic <laughs> and that you guys have behind this? Two things. Two things. One, any job that you have, there's probably some report involved. So that yeah. was accurate for whatever my job. Could awesome. Be. Number two. That's exactly the phrasing yes. and structure oh, I know. of questions that get asked to me because they're, they want to kind of it's be polite. Tr- there's trepidation there. And they was, was there reasoning behind that? Because yeah. in their mind, they're like, there's no fucking reasoning behind this. I need them to like make me feel better about this. And then I come back and I'm like, you know what? There was reasoning behind that. The reason why we did that was because of this and this and this. And that's why you end up seeing the difference on the report. Well, when you work in an office, the, the reason I was able to do that is because if you work in an office at all, everyone's just trying to cover their own ass. And that's on both <laughs> yes, ends. It is. That's it on is, both it ends. Is. And it's a give and take that you can play well together. Yes. Because someone, you know what, they can, they just, they want to be asking smart questions because they need to. <laughs> that's so they'd be like, yeah, so for, uh, for this section on we're on page three on the Google Doc on, for, the, for the, you on the phone. On the, are you there? Okay, so on this part on sec, on page three, the question here that's written, what, what, what you know, what sort of, what foundation do we have on that? What are we thinking here? What? Are, and then your aunt, you're like, I, oh shit, I don't know. I gotta make something up right now. Like, oh, what I was thinking there is that really relates to blah blah blah. We talked about on page two. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah oh, no, you know, I see that now. Great. No, that's perfect. That you know, what I think you might want to add that person is pretty much only asking that question so that they can have their voice heard. Yeah, and, seem, right. and seem like they're adding value yeah. to the conversation. My least favorite thing to have to do in a meeting, and I'm in this role somewhat often, is have to be like have to ask an informed question when I just am really not curious about anything. Yeah, when I, I really like, don't want to know anything. Kind of the the end I find myself on is the, is the person answering those right. fucking questions, yeah. and I got to be like quick on my feet. When I started out at my job, I was like, shit, 
I'm not good at answering these, and I did not sound confident, and I was, like, not good at answering them. Oh. I've turned into a fucking snake oil salesman <laughs> with these things. Like, I'll, I, I am giving these people shit and convincing them it's gold. Shit, it's turning shit into Shinola. Exactly, and I say that now, and tomorrow I'm going to get, like, nailed on something where it's like, ooh, you fucked up on this, and, like, there's no way out of it. For you never you. know when the so. other shoe might drop, Sean. Yeah, so, you know, you know this, is, this is maybe the pride before the fall. That's exactly what it is. I so don't mean don't, to, I would never wish don't that Don't listen on. to anything I say about <laughs> This. That's a really mean thing I just said. That when you really think about what I just said, the pride before the fall, I wouldn't wish like an acquaintance to lose their job or like their <laughs> reputation at work. And I just like casually threw that out there as a possibility for you. Dude, who know? Who the fuck knows? It's not cool. Who the fuck knows? But yeah, that kind of stuff is not. Dude, that's work life for you. It, it really it's is. Cubicle Chronicles. Cubicle Chronicles. <laughs> Are we good? No, we're good. We're good. Let's dive in here. All right, let's dive on. in. <clears throat> All right. Three, two, one. <laughs>